When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. A tantrum never got you what you wanted. If you wanted to be a bratty teenager and like fight with mom, she was not going to sit there and like cry with you and be like, oh my God, and get in a fight. She was going to turn and watch ER. guys um welcome to the first episode this is the first real episode of you need therapy um i could not be more excited i have been waiting on this like on my toes for almost a month now but before we get started i just want to give a huge shout out to alex booth who is the creator of that intro music alex is a good friend of mine all the way back from high school if you want to follow his music account that would be greatly appreciated his um instagram is at booth tunes so b-o-o-t-h-t-u-n-e-s alex i am grateful for you thank you so so much let's jump into this so my name is Catherine. Um, I'm from Nashville. I'm a therapist here. Um, if you want to know like a little bit more about me, you can listen to the in- the intro. I'm really excited about this episode and um, for more than one reason, right? Like it's the first one and this is the my jam right here, what we're going to be talking about. So um, let me tell you a little bit about the episode and then we'll jump in. So we're doing attachment theory today. If you don't know what that is, that's totally fine. We start from the very beginning. If you do know what that is, awesome, even better. Maybe you'll learn something new. Um, So attachment theory is the foundation of what I use for the background of all my work. It's kind of the lens that I look at things through. Um, So the reason I want to do this first is I think I'll reference it a lot as we talk about different things. And um, it will also create a foundation for you guys as you guys are listening and seeing what, what fits for you and what you relate to as we go through this stuff. So with that being said, as you listen, I want you guys to take some notes, whether that's mental or like actually on your phone or on paper and what parts of this make you think, what parts that you connect to, um, where you feel like you can relate. 
And my hope is that learning about this will be a catalyst to better understand yourself and your relationships. And if there's room for improvement, which we can all just like be humble here, we always have room to improve. Um, You can find the appropriate means to work towards that using some of this information. I'm not going to tell you a lot about that now because me and Kelly do that together. And so with that being said, let me tell you about the guest um, that you're about to hear from. So this worked out perfectly, the timing, which I'm, like, so excited about. Uh, Kelly, I just – she lives in Philly. She'll explain that. My friends and I just went to Memphis for the St. Jude Marathon, and a couple of us ran, and I called Kelly to see if she could come surprise uh, her best friend, Sarah, who's my roommate. And so she did that, and so it was perfect. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're going to be here. Let's Let's tape this. Let me tell you about Kelly. I could talk about her forever. But Kelly is one of my very oldest friends. I met her when I was in eighth grade. Um, and I, when I was talking to my roommate, Sarah, about this episode that I wanted to do, she's the one that immediately was like, oh, my God, Kelly needs to do this for multiple reasons. Uh, she's one of the most self-assured, loving, fun, honest, like a good root word to describe her as true. That just feels good to me when I think of Kelly. Um the conversations I have with her are always so rich. So even if we're just like driving to the grocery store, which I guess we don't really do that much because she doesn't live here anymore, but you know what I mean? Like anywhere we go is an opportunity to have a rich conversation with her. She, she kind of seizes every moment she has. Um, she listens really, really well. So she's somebody that like you can sit and talk with, but also she talks, which is nice, and uh, she's someone who's always okay with learning more. She's never done, it seems, seeking understanding and information, which I love, and she's also the very opposite of me in a lot of ways, which it'll be nice for you guys to have two perspectives as we talk about this because we have pretty different ways we view the world. I was talking with somebody who met her uh, on Sunday night, and he said, the next day that he really liked her and his impression within, I mean, he was only with her for 20 minutes. She's someone who you can feel her confidence and her like self-assuredness. And that's so true. Uh, meeting her is like meeting a comfortable old friend to me. I never have any anxiousness introducing her to people. She can get along with anybody. She's so warm and open. And I think that's because she's so okay with herself and because she's a so okay with herself um it made this episode cool because she was allowing herself to really learn about things and instead of finding shame in it she it's more of an understanding of oh okay which is why i hope that you guys can get a little taste of that anyway uh one more thing about kelly is she was sick when we filmed this episode uh so there are some moments where you can like and now I, I love that she was willing to do this, even though she was sick. But there are some uh, long moments where you can hear her breathing into the microphone, which I didn't um, realize until I was editing this. And this stuff was too good to redo it. And again, she lives in Philly. So you guys just like this is, you know, a little gift of imperfection here that uh, um, the audio is not perfect. But if anything, you know, give her some some grace in the, in the fact that she was sick uh, and still willing to help me out. So uh, I guess let's just go into it. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Catherine. How are you doing? 
under the weather today, but oh, yeah. I'm all right. I'm drinking so. some throat coat tea. I don't know. My uh, voice feels funny. My throat hurts. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So everybody, Kelly wants you to know that she's sick, and that's why her voice sounds like it does, and it doesn't really sound like that. Yeah. But my voice just sounds like this. This so is her real weird, voice. Yeah, this, this is my real voice. Um, okay. So I'm very excited about today's. This is the first real episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. How do you feel that I chose you to be on it? I feel, like, so honored. Okay, great. Yeah, you, for real. you nervous? No, I love talking about whatever we're going to talk about. You don't like, know what we're so going to talk super about. Fun. <laughs> um, Kelly has no idea what we're going to talk about. I told her, so I told her that we're going to talk about attachment theory, but I told her not to look it up. And how'd that make you feel? <clears throat> Fine. Like, I like um, ambiguity, and I like being on the edge of my seat. So <laughs> I was. Not tempted one time to look it up. Wait, are you lying? No. Oh, okay. I picked you for specific reasons that we'll get to. Super. I'm very excited. Um, But before we do that, I have a couple questions for you. So these people, because I know you very well, and some people that are listening to this are going to know you very well, but some people have no idea who you are. Um, And I'm not really famous, so I don't get famous guests on my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So can you um, tell the people just a little bit about yourself? Like, where are you from or where do you live? What do you do? How old are you? Are you married? Are you single? Are you divorced? What's what's going on with you? Okay. Um, I was raised like halfway between Texas and Nashville. I moved to Nashville when I was 13. Now I live in Philadelphia. Love Philadelphia a lot. Um, I am 29 years old. I work in construction management and interior design in real estate development. Um, I am not married. I am recently out of a very long-term relationship. And uh, how long is uh, very long-term? Um, seven years. Okay. Okay. Um, I would like you to tell the people how you know me. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> my pleasure. Um, I met Catherine Defada beginning of eighth grade. I, I was going to put a year to that. I don't even know what year that was, to be honest. In what? 2003. Um, social studies, Mr. You know, Marley. You know, the I, what I remember from that class, the biggest things, you and the um, preamble. Yeah. It was first period. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, like the preamble. He taught us that song about the preamble. It's like, we the people. You always remember that. I really don't remember he that. He would stand on the chair and sing it. I mean, that's like a vague memory oh, to okay. me. Anyway, I thought it was important. Keep going. I remember reading Ender's Game, being forced. It was like our curriculum. I don't remember reading And that. I was like, why are we reading Ender's Game, a science fiction future novel in social studies, which is supposed to be historical I don't yeah. know. I just I was like so confused. But anyways, we we made out like bandits, best friends. <laughs> <laughs> We've been through a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. Um, so yeah, we met in eighth grade, and it was great. And we've been friends since. And have you? I'd ask this to everybody. Have you ever been to therapy? Yes, two sessions. Oh, only the two. <laughs> I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember when I was calling you and was like, how do I find one? And Oh, my God. You only went to two sessions? Yeah. I wasn't sure, like, 
I was having all these qualms because I was like, am I supposed to really like my therapist as a person? Like, would I want to hang out with her? Am I supposed to relate to her or is she supposed to relate to me? Am I supposed to not have relatability to my therapist? Is that better? Yeah. Um, and I found that, like, it just was not – she just was not the right fit for me personally and the topics I wanted to, like, go over um, because she was married and pregnant, and it just, I don't know, felt. That's, like, a hot topic of, like, uh, does my therapist have to be somebody that's, like, in the same life um, stage as me? Does it have to be a, uh, the same gender as me? Do they have to be the same religion? Like, all that stuff. I yeah. have mixed feelings on it. Yeah. And I know that for me, my current therapist, um, the reason I liked her so much in the beginning is because she told me part of her story and it was like what I was going through at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh my God, if you can get to where you are right now, then I can get through this. I think I was searching and seeking a level of relatability with my therapist and I was just really... Well, it's the relationship is the most important Uh, part, so... Well, yeah. And so I felt really bad, though, because I kind of ghosted her and I just never came back. And But I've intended to go yeah. find a new one. Just you know, not. just so you don't feel bad, I don't think we ever take it personally when somebody ghosts us. Okay, good. I had these a couple clients who I was like, I love them so much, and I thought we were, we were pretty close. They completely ghosted me. After multiple, multiple sessions? Multiple years. Oh, my God. Yeah. Completely ghosted me. But I think that we have enough sense to know that's never really about us if somebody see me for two years and they don't hate me it's something about them which makes me sad yeah here's another question before we get going okay if you did go to therapy mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. would you want to learn about yourself hmm okay that's a really good question i think that so honestly this quote that you posted the other day on the three chords thing i'm paraphrasing but it was something about saying you can still love yourself but want to make yourself better work on yourself it's okay to like yourself and be working on yourself at the same time yes so one thing that was within my like first 10 minutes of talking to this therapist i went to she said something about saying you clearly have really good coping mechanisms and that's like stuck with me but almost in a negative way where i've been like oh is there stuff that i'm not dealing with because i'm so quick to just be like yep it's fine we're cool and I think that that would be something I'd want, to, not to like, not for an immediate fix, but just for for a longevity of being like, oh, it's okay to like, yeah, feel more and not be. So this is gonna be interesting because that's kind of something that we're gonna talk about in a second. Okay, so today's um, episode is on attachment theory. So for everybody listening and for you, attachment theory is basically what I I base all of what I do with clients. Like all the therapy I do is from a lens of attachment theory. So when people come in with issues, I like break it down to this thing that we're going to talk about. And then I move people through their stuff, helping them understand this and it helps them understand themselves. And then it gives them a way to change what they're doing. So, for um, people who don't know what that is at all, I'm going to explain it down to the bottom. But one of the reasons I think this is so important is because uh, I think that our culture, and this is one of the reasons that I wanted you on here, um, it like, complements people the highest who are the most independent. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. Um, but I think that that gets us stuck, and I think the, like, the best versions of ourselves come out when we have interdependence, which is like depending on others as well. Mm-hmm. Why are you smiling? Just because, yeah, it's just not really like me. <laughs> 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 How would you describe yourself? Um, like, 
obviously independent 100%, but almost like to a debilitating level. Okay. Okay. <coughs> so I, w- I don't think that you're, I would say debilitating. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into it. There's a CBS, CBS news report, and it said um, one in four Americans say that they don't have one single person they can confide in, mm. which I don't think you really no, that. No, I don't but relate to that that's at all. one in four Americans. I mm-hmm. think that we're probably the, the exception in that. And uh, there's a, uh, I guess he was a psych- psychologist, and it was Thomas Lewis, um, he was quoted in where I saw that saying that a good deal of modern American culture is an extended experiment in the effect of depriving people of what they crave the most, Mm. which, what do you think people crave the most? Attention. Yeah. Relationship, Mm -hmm. connection, all of that. So I'm going to read that again for those of you who are listening, that a good deal of modern American culture is an extended experiment in the effect of depriving people of what they crave the most. I mean, social media, that's like yeah. Test on yeah. that whole theory. Yeah. I think a person's attachment style, which comes from attachment theory, is the number one factor in affecting how people create relationships in their lives and how they form them, how they um, act in them, all of that. So you know nothing about what this is. Mm-hmm. This is so fun. <laughs> um, so um, it was developed by this guy named John Bowlby. He was a British psychiatrist and psychoanalyst. I think it, I don't really, I'm not great with dates, but I want to say he was alive until like 1990. So he's not that far gone. This isn't like ancient stuff. It's newer stuff. But after World War II, he was working, I want to say in orphanages. Yeah, I think it was orphanages. um, Where he saw kids, like babies and all like... um, being cared for and they're giving given like adequate food like they had a shelter they had all this stuff um they had medical care but they weren't thriving and a lot of them were actually like dying getting sick and dying and there was no um theory that explained like if these kids are getting all this stuff why are they not what's happening interesting yeah and so he developed his own theory that basically says humans are born helpless and hardwired to search and attach to caregivers Usually, this is the mom, but this can be, like, any close person that gives you, that is where you get your needs met. So, it could be um, a nanny, it could be a dad, it could be a grandmother, um, whatever that is. Basically, if the search for your need being met through the caregiver is met, there's security. Can if the caregiver be a peer? Or does it have to be somebody older than you or, like, it could, in, it can't na- in actual care of you? Well, it can't be a peer because this is developing that's starting when you're like an infant mm-hmm. so if it's a peer then your infant can't give you those needs yeah okay um which is interesting because humans have the longest period of vulnerability than any other species on earth mm-hmm. as in like we need our caregivers longer than any other species yeah so like if you're a baby it's like almost so like i would say like till you're like eight years old, I don't really know where the cutoff is. Like, imagine, like, there is a disaster coming or, like, like a baby can't, like, get up and run away from somebody who's attacking it. Yeah. Like, you, they have to have a caregiver come and, and do that for them. If you're, the need is met, then you create secure attachment. If the need is unmet, you're going to create um, insecurity. Mm-hmm. So that's just that basic stuff. Success or failure of the search of that is going to, it, what's interesting is it like, for me, it all makes sense, but essentially imagine, like, 
your brain, like the patterns, it's like your brain, like all the connections that your brain is making and like, like wiring together happens in like the, uh, relationally the first two years of life is the biggest part of that. So like your brain is sitting there developing, okay, this, it's making meaning of everything that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a fun, your attachment is like a fundamental part of your your um, development like anything else like any other part physical or reproductive system all of that it's the same it's just as important and there are three essential functions of the attachment system so your caregiver is going to give you these three things one is proximity maintenance so that is that means the caregiver is somebody that you can keep close for comfort so you're just getting comfort for that person two is a secure secure base so this person is making it available for you to go and explore and then the third one is a safe haven so when you're going and exploring then you know you have your safe haven to come back to mm -hmm. when you get scared so those are the three like things that you your caregiver is supposed to have um, and then the caregiver has to meet two criteria so uh, or the attachment figure uh, so one is a threat of separation from the caregiver will cause the person anxiety Kay. which for a baby is like crying that's mm -hmm. what it's going to look like and then the second one is the loss of this person would cause grief, like deep sadness. Mm -hmm. This guy believed that, like, basically the relationship that you're developing with your primary caregiver, or if you have two caregivers, um, is setting the stage for the rest of your relationships. So it is teaching you, can I trust people? Can I not trust people? Are my needs going to be met? Do I have to do things on my own? Um, all of that. Now, that translates into every other relationship is what we have found. And I'm going to go through what all of that looks like. We're, I'm going to describe the different types of attachments. There's three main ones and then one extra one um, that we won't spend that much time on. You're going to kind of figure out what yours is. <laughs> and I'll give some – I'm going to talk about mine too. Okay. okay. Um, so it won't just, just be you. Basically, what is happening when you're creating – when you get your attachment figure and then you make sense of it. What you're kind of doing is answering questions about yourself. So, am I lovable? Can people be trusted? Do people love any questions like that? Okay. Um, and so, if you answer those questions with like a yes, the first type of attachment would be secure. That's what you would get. Like you would have a secure attachment. So that's the one we want. And this is 55% of Americans. So most people, the majority of people, have a secure attachment. Um, the infant will experience a sense of security with your caregiver and like essentially your mom will show up. Mm -hmm. These people will believe that people are good. They believe their partners and relationships will be loving and there for them. They're able to communicate their needs well. They're not overly sensitive. Um, and they don't feel rejection at, as easily as others. They are programmed to expect that people will show up and they're comfortable with intimacy. So we'll get through it. Okay. So this, the second one would be insecure because there's two insecure types. One is insecure avoidant. So that would be when your caregiver is like unresponsive. So your mom your, or whoever it is, I keep saying mom, but whoever just doesn't show up. And so what you learn is that like people aren't going to be there for me. I can't trust people. I have to do things on my own. So these per people learn to shut down and avoid intimacy. I can't count on people is what they believe. This is 25% of Americans. Okay. You're giving me some like... <laughs> okay, so th some things that these people would think or how they show up is they, you have to take care of yourself. It's difficult to trust others. 
their partners in relationships will want them to open up more than they're comfortable with. Um, the, they believe in self-reliance. When conflict occurs, they will distance themselves. And they will they are the ones this is one thing that I'm like, Oh, I wish I had that. <laughs> <laughs> what weird they don't with. get sidelined by grief from breakups as much. Which obviously because they're more separated. Yeah. So that is insecure. Then they're more self reliant. So they're yeah. like, I need they're to worry okay. about myself, I'm gonna move forward. And it's also like I knew this would happen. Yeah. Um and then there's insecure anxious. So this is when the caregiver is inconsistent. So sometimes they show up and sometimes they don't. Sometimes mm-hmm. they can count on them. Sometimes they can't. That sounds which like the worst one. Well, <laughs> I'm this one. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you read this. <laughs> I think that as we'll talk more about this after I explain this, this will make sense. But I mean, yeah, it's not great. Um, it's you handle it really well, oh, though. Well, I don't know that you know all the details of my romantic <laughs> relationship. And I think it will make sense of, like, what I was like in high school. It will make oh. sense to you more. Cool, cool, cool. Because I wasn't so nice in high school. But we loved her anyways. <laughs> so this was this is 20% of people. Okay. Instead of shutting down, these people will protest more. Like they, mm. like for a, ch- a kid, for a, a baby, that's more crying. But they also become very clingy. So this is your stage five clinger. Which I'm not a stage five. No, I would never. I I hope not. Stage three. (laughs) Stage three. Um, So these people are worried about what is going to happen. They're reluctant to get close because they worry the partner won't want to stay with them. Okay. However, at the same time, they're like, I need you, I need you, I need you. Doing everything to make sure he stays with them. Yeah, they're like a come here, go away, I I love you, I hate you kind of person. They So at the same time, they don't want to get really close, but then they also want to merge completely with people, and this is actually scares people away, especially mm. in avoidant. Mm. Uh, they're hypercritical towards their partners. Uh, they feel rejected at the slightest lack of attention. I have so many stories of this. Like if like people don't text back fast enough or somebody can't do something. It's like we take that as like personal attacks of like – you don't want to be with me. Um, mm-hmm. There's big ups and big da- big downs. And so this one, like the, re- the reason that it's like you don't want to be with me is because their like core beliefs are like I'm not good enough and I'm not lovable because mom shows up and then she doesn't and then she does and then she doesn't. So you make up like, okay, I guess I'm not mm-hmm. worth being consistent with. But because they have that little part where people do show up, they're like, well, I know people can show up. So when I get it, I want all of it. And I want it now. Because mm-hmm. then I don't know it when, might go away. I don't want it. Yeah, exactly. I don't know when it's going to go away. So this is really interesting. So I'm 30 and Kelly's 29. Mm -hmm. And we're both essentially somewhat single right now. We're not married. Past age 30, insecure, whether it's avoidant or anxious, people make up the majority of the dating pool. Because... Do you know why? I mean, you could probably because all this. the secure ones are partnered up. Yeah, secure because they love relationships and they feel secure in them. Right, and a secure people in secure relationships, they're gonna find a partner and they're gonna stick with that mm-hmm. person longer. And probably they're not through a lot more away. thick and thin and yeah. like yeah, yeah, they're not gonna run away. They're not so. Um, those people usually like partner up and get married faster. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's we can hold debate that, but they say the people say that anxious and avoidant. Uh, the combination of the two, it's like the almost like the worst combination of a relationship. They call it anxious avoidant trap. Now, I think that you can still have a relationship with those two if they're willing to work on themselves. But 
the reason being is anxious people and people with avoidant attachment styles are um, attracted to each other because they confirm their belief in themselves. So for those with an avoidant attachment, an anxious partner will confirm their belief in themselves as a strong and self-reliant person, as well as their view about others as needy independent. And then for the anxious partner, an avoidant person will confirm the belief that you can't trust people's commitments. And also, people with anxious attachment styles, they're more likely to be the ones that, like, avoid red flags because they're so anxious to get in relationships that they somewhat will take a less desirable person at times. There's a fourth type. We're not really going to talk about it, but it's disorganized. That's like a very small percentage, probably like 5%. And that is when you have like, it happens when you have like a mentally unstable parent where it's like, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason for anything. It's just cuckoo karacha. So yeah. And one thing that I want to kind of drive home is that with explaining all this, yeah, you're, the way that you grew up and your caregivers 100% had an effect on developing your personality and how you cope and how you view the world. But none of this understanding is to place blame on your parents because I believe for the most part that people do the best they can. And just because you have an anxious attachment style, it doesn't mean that your parents were bad. Um, It almost is like, think about uh, you're born with a predisposition to be a certain way, and the way your your family and the people around you and your caregivers and your attachment figure respond to you tells you which ways, like, kind of sets out which ways you can um, play the cards that you've been given, essentially. So... Um, none of this is about blaming. It doesn't mean that your parents are bad or that your parents are better or worse than other parents or uh, any of that. Um, it's just understanding. Now, I think when I describe these, does it feel like anxious and avoidant are bad and secure is good? I mean, in the very black and white terms, of course, but I actually see things in the anxious and the avoidant that I I admire. Oh, I love that you said that. Okay, good. Because, yeah, everybody, you want to be secure. And there's a way to get, if you grow up anxious or avoidant, there's a way to have earned, it's called earned secure attachment. There's a way to get that. Well, well, I'll tell you how to okay. earn it, but I'll tell you how you can get <laughs> okay. it. Okay. Five steps. I'm going to solve here we go. Gonna save your life in three steps. Um, actually, it's only two steps. And you can pick just one of them if you want. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's really exciting. The easiest therapy yeah. plan ever. Um, both of the, the two insecure attachments, to me, I'm like, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, is they're smart, like they're resilient, because I am going to not keep doing what I'm doing. So the avoidant, I'm not going to keep mm-hmm. crying and crying and crying and crying because I know my mom's never going to show up. So I'm not going to just like sit here and do that and continue to be hurt. I'm going to cut myself off and I'm going to learn how to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So essentially, you're learning coping strategies that are helping you. The issue is eventually they stop helping you and they start hurting you when you move into adulthood because you're taking mm-hmm. all of the – so as you're yeah. developing your attachment style, what you're doing is developing a way to view the world, a way to view people, and a way to view relationships. And these are this is every relationship. So this is a relationship with yourself, other people, and even God. 
So your attachment style can also be how you view how God works. Now I would just love to get some of your feedback of what you're thinking. Think about yourself and your relationships. I'll probably ask you some questions. I know a lot about Kelly's growing up period. <laughs> and so as you're and you're really um, thoughtful when it comes to this kind of stuff, so I know that you're probably like, you know, classifying this as like, oh, is this what this meant? Is this what this meant? Think about what you decided. So you decided what you are, right? Oh, yeah. I am insecure avoidant 100%. Okay. So I wasn't going to tell you that, but <laughs> I let you come to it all by yourself. Uh, you're right. <laughs> um, so I want you to think about like how you think that that's the way you develop because it's not like well, you, you know had what I thought the first thing when you were what? reading it, the first thing I thought about is that in my house and I've learned this as I've lived in, um, college meeting, you know, you meet a whole new group of people in college and you get to know their parents and their family relationships and then. I moved to L.A. for four years, met new people, learned their family relationships, and now I live in Philadelphia for four years and learned those people. So one thing I find that is very unique to my situation whenever I talk about it is that there was never yelling in my house at all. Parents didn't yell at Uh each other. We didn't get yelled at as children. Siblings were not allowed to yell with each other. And did you ever... There was no excitability in that sense. But, like, I mean, I, I mean, like, you weren't... I guess I'm saying it was never rewarded ever. Like yeah. a tantrum never got you what you wanted. If you wanted to be a bratty teenager and like fight with mom, she was not going to sit there and like cry with you and be like, oh my God, and get in a fight. She was going to turn and watch ER and totally ignore you. And so I think that that it was, it's like a learn it, to me. I think of it, obviously I don't know anything about therapy, but I think of that stuff as like a learned reward to be like, oh, if I scream and cry and I act sulking or grieve really hard or if I do this I'm going to get something from these people but I would never get that and I learned that very young so I would just go to my room and totally be fine I'd be like so well let me ask you a question about that what was the belief that you created about yelling or crying that it gets you nowhere and did you think it was bad or like I think now that I'm older well no think about as a kid so as a kid I think I was frustrated when I was very young, like elementary school age uh-huh. and even high school age. I think I was frustrated because I knew it got other, of, which is so stupid to compare, but like my friends, it got them things in their households yeah. to be like, oh, if they cry hard enough or, they're, or if they're a bratty enough girl, they'll get what they want from their parents. Yeah. And I knew that wasn't working for me. And I think that made me feel um, not an equal to my peers, I guess, being like, oh, I want to get the same attention from my parents the way that my friends get attention from their parents. Well, and I think it might have created some, and if this doesn't fit, let me know, but it almost creates, like, bitterness of, like, they can do that, but I can't. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm, it's, it's me against the world. Ex- exactly. And I've noticed that that translates into a lot of things mm-hmm. across, especially early adulthood where you are first jobs and first uh-huh. money things and me being like, well, I didn't take anything from them and my friends took stuff and, you yeah. know, and feeling like... Entitled. Almost entitled because, to better think than I am not as weak as somebody else because yes. I didn't get treated that way or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I just want to say because, and of course, there's no perfect way to parent, and this, none of this means that your parents were bad parents. It's mm-hmm. just you took their experience, the experiences that you had, and you made meaning of them. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, as a small kid, you don't have a lot of ways to get your needs met. Like you really don't. And so one way to get your needs met is to not throw tantrums, mm-hmm. but like as a baby, that's all you can do to be like, hey, 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 I need food. Hey, 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 I need my diaper changed. Mm-hmm. Is to cry. And so. Th- Doing that isn't a bad thing, but, like, our society looks at a kid making noise mm-hmm. as a bad thing when really it's them 
being resilient and these are the things I can do. This is how I'm getting my needs met. Yeah. So instead of being taught other ways to get my needs met, you're just taught that that is bad. And so you take your resilient, you take what you have in front of you. Okay, this is bad. So I'm just going to go in my room and figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. Tell, can you talk a little bit about how that created because you've always been very, since I've known you, very independent, mm-hmm. which I am the opposite. Like and we I were like somebody, 12 when we met. Yeah, yeah. And I like needed somebody to like walk to the bathroom with me. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, just go. <laughs> yeah. like, you never know what could happen there. Yeah. Like I, like, I always wanted people with me doing something all the time. And that has to do with a lot of the beliefs I have about myself, too, of like, um, I need people around me and I need constant affirmation. But mm. you never got that. Mm-hmm. So you didn't need that. You gave it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And you found ways to feel affirmed and to feel good enough through being independent and doing things. Yes. So can you talk some about (laughs) just, like, what you were like, even in, like, middle school to high school kind of. I was so independent in my household. Like, and this is something I found also to be interesting as I meet more and more people across the country in the way they were raised and how ultimately, even across the country, most people are really similarly raised and or their home values are very similar. But I think a lot about how when I was at home, we all, even though I have three older siblings, it would not be uncommon for all of us to be completely separated in the house, like to just be in our own rooms, doing our own thing. Um, to be, um, we, I mean, we even had like a couple different television rooms and stuff like that. So when I think about like middle school age, especially because we moved to Tennessee and I didn't have any friends initially, I was like, could occupy my time forever by myself never thought twice about it was never like I'm lonely I need friends I could watch tv for hours and like imagine things I could go outside and play forever and imagine things I've never ever had a problem being by myself swimming by myself and it's yeah it's just been very easy for me to always do that and into adulthood I what did you do when you were a freshman in high school you know what I'm thinking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is something I would never. Yeah. So tell what you did, and then I would, I'm going to tell my experience of you doing this. Okay. <laughs> well, I sh- did not. Should I, I preface with that? I literally don't take authority seriously, or does that matter? I guess yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't because it doesn't matter to you because you don't. Yeah. yeah. I've never. I don't. I think every rule is just an obstacle to be broken, and I think that uh, <laughs> everything <laughs> is for the taking, basically. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, I have to follow every rule and do everything right because if I do something wrong, then people aren't going to show up for me and people aren't going to like me and all that. Like, it's not exactly how I live now, but that's how I was growing up. But I guess in my totally selfish, like, mindset, I think, like, what do I, what did, what does what I'm doing have anything to do with anybody else? Like, why would anybody not like me because I'm doing something that doesn't affect them or, like, or, like, even to my parents. I was, like, ultimately, like, yeah, this is going to be a pain in, in the ass for them, but, like. I really didn't think it, it would really affect them very much. And your development of being good enough, I mean, you knew that people, you didn't earn validation through people giving you what you wanted. Like, you earned validation through going out and doing things on your own. Mm-hmm. So you earned validation in essentially in, like, a vacuum. Mm-hmm. You, you're the only thing in the vacuum. Mm-hmm. I earned validation through other people mm-hmm. so like we wouldn't my mom wouldn't even hang our report cards on the refrigerator i would put my report card up and then she'd take it down because she doesn't want the refrigerator to cover it and i'd be like and i'd put it back up <laughs> <laughs> i'd be like uh-uh, i'm high on a roll no, no, no. like it didn't matter if they cared or noticed or yeah. i just was like so what did you do when excited. you were a freshman it was a freshman year right it had to have been it was 
Or is it, it wasn't eighth grade. It could no, not no, have no, been. No, 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 no. I was 14. But it was over the summer. I, was, I think it was summer going into sophomore year. But anywho, I loved driving. Always. <laughs> <laughs> loved it. And I'm the youngest of our friends. And always really wanted to drive. I, like, would take golf carts out and, and stuff like that. But my parents were not one of the parents that would let you, even underage, be like, oh, in a parking lot, let's drive a little bit or anything kind of fun like that. So I just did it myself. And they... What do you mean by that? They would leave on the weekends to golf for like, you know, hour. Like it's like a six or seven hour adventure. Your parents adventure. were not around a lot, you, like around you a lot. I think as, as I got older, I mean, I'm yeah. certain like when I was young, cause there was four kids. Like I, I do remember elementary school age, my mom being present a lot. Okay. But I think as I got older and kids started getting out of the house, they were probably just relieved to be like, oh my God, we have our, yeah, yeah. or my mom was probably just relieved. My dad always had his freedom, but my mm-hmm. mom was probably just relieved to be like, oh, I can yeah. leave for the week for hours at a time and not have to worry about four children anymore. Um, but so they would go golfing, and I would just take a car out for the afternoon. She was 14. <laughs> she would tell me these things, and I would, like, immediately start sweating. <laughs> I'm like, Kelly, you're going to go to jail, and you're never going to get out. Yeah. And what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I had a really good run, okay? I got away with it for a very uh, long so time. You did it a lot. I mean, yeah, I got caught the summer after going into software year, but I had your done it. You did get caught. Oh, I got caught by the police. Oh, wait, okay. But I, yeah, I knew that. had done it the whole entire freshman year. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I got caught by just being so stupid, like in the mall parking lot doing like speeding or something, like something really stupid. I think, no, I think that the cop just saw you and you looked like you were 12. Okay. Maybe that could be because <laughs> I probably looked like I was nine. <laughs> So he pulls me over. I'm sitting on a pillow to, like, reach the steering wheel. And he just immediately is like, you don't have a license. But I was like, no. And then we went to uh, the juvenile court and stayed there for about maybe 24 hours or something. And then. It's so funny. I remember you, like, telling me, like, that you got caught. And I'm, like, freaking out. And you're like, yeah. And then, like, it was fine. And I'm like, and then what happened? And you're like, I mean, then I left. And then what's going to happen? And you're like, and it's nothing's going to happen. Like, it is yeah. what it is. It got caught. It can't do it anymore. And I'm thinking, like, you're going to die. Yeah. No, nothing. I My biggest part that I was the most afraid of, which I knew was always present in my mind when I was doing it, of being caught, was, like, okay, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Like, is that how that phrase goes? I have actually no idea. I think it is. Meaning, like, all I wanted to do was drive, which you get to do from 15 till forever. And I was 14. And to be like, okay, if I did get caught, would I not be able to drive until I'm 18? Yeah. Or something like that happened. And then be more upset. Also, is that phrase work with that? I, I do think it's something like, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Like, if... <laughs> <laughs> Linguistics. <laughs> I just don't use phrases like that because I never get them right. (laughs) I would imagine you get those wrong often. (laughs) Um, What did you say? The the night is our oyster. That was a few phrases you put into one. (laughs) The night is our oyster. Very clever. Um, But I did get, there was a risk that I was not going to get my permit. And I I think I had to wait six months. But your emotions around that were somewhat muted. Oh, for sure. And I think that's how. You know what I felt the most guilty about? Was that my parents did not know how to punish me because we never got punished in our house. And like, because none of us really did anything terribly bad. Like yeah. we were, we were all, we were all good kids who like cared about school to the normal amount of whatever that someone would care. 
and whatever. And so I just remember coming to my mom, like, whenever she picked me up and being like, well, what should we do? Like, should I be grounded? Should I be this? Should I do that? To, like, make – because I wanted to, like, make sure she felt parental in it or something. And I was grounded for a few weeks maybe. Like, I I don't remember being very strict and – I remember I did, like, days after this, I was supposed to go to a Dave Matthews concert that I wasn't allowed to go to. But it also sends a message of, like, if you there, you're – so being punished isn't always a bad thing because it sends the message of, like, I care about you. Yeah. And I want to fix this thing. And so almost with that of her being, like, I don't know how to punish you, not that she actually said that, but it's sending the message of, like, essentially I don't know what to do with you. I – it could be I can't handle you. It could be I, it, but a kid could take them. The mom could have the message of like I'm overwhelmed, and the kid could take the take that as my mom doesn't care about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, depending on just how they view the world at that point, based mm-hmm. on their experiences thus far. I think it and anything it like instilled more. Oh, I guess I can just police myself yeah. in me. Yeah, like, I'm more independent. Yeah, it's me and me and me. Yeah. So okay. I would like you to share more about, like, the development of your, like, romantic relationships. Kelly's drinking throat so, coat tea. The tea is so bad. It's bad? It, yeah. Maybe mixed with the peppermint. Oh, you right. put peppermint in that? Yeah, because I started with the peppermint. And oh. then I was like, oh, let me have this. Yeah, I don't know that I would have done that. But it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So. Sorry. You have an interesting development of romantic relationships, too. How they start Do and I? end and all that. Yeah. So I want you to talk as if like i don't know anything i'm like describe like imagine like you came into a therapy session i'm like describe what your romantic relationships look like and how are you in them can you give us a picture of that (laughs) starting from when i don't know when was your first boyfriend (laughs) i mean like a real boyfriend i mean like no the fake one (laughs) 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 when was your first imaginary boyfriend? i mean like in the way that you like, like in the way you'd be like, oh my god, this boy was my boyfriend at this age, but it didn't mean not anything. Not my fifth grade boyfriend, which right. I will not name because I've learned yeah. not to <laughs> names. No, like first, like actual boyfriend. Um, okay, I'd actually have to like really think about how I have had so many boyfriends I can't remember. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, I know exactly when it was. I was 35 years old. <laughs> it's in the future. And it's gonna happen. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess. I guess what I think is, like, I don't think that the word boyfriend or girlfriend is as important as it is who was, like, how were your first romantic interact? Like, I guess what I'm thinking is, like, I feel like somebody who I really learned about romantic relationships. You don't have to say the names. Because he was, like, Uh. my first person that, like, we had a thing for, like, over a year. And he was my first person I really cared about. Talk about that without... Using his, his name. name. And also just not say he's my, he's my boyfriend. He's yeah. Boyfriend. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What I guess I'm saying is, like, I think that the terms boyfriend and girlfriend aren't necessarily applicable in how serious or how important something is. It's it's also just, like, what was your first interaction romantically with somebody? Whatever that means. Like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, but I would say in high school, there was, you know, there was a guy who I really, I mean, I would say obsessed would probably be my word I would use. I was, like, obsessed with him. Um, And he was, like, the first interaction I had had with someone who I really, really liked. And I believe he really liked me, I guess, at the time. I think he liked you. Yeah. I mean, clearly. Private signs showed that he liked me, but I don't know, you know, whatever, what he would tell somebody else. You know what I mean? I'm going to pause you because this is important, too. 
and it's just because we're so starkly different. Yeah. And this was when you were talking to him. Kelly and I went to a Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it started at like 12 midnight. She was probably like the closer closer. No, it was not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was when Tim McGraw had just come out. And I was like, yeah. will you come to this concert with me? And you're like, who is that? Like, I remember we got her CD and brought mm-hmm. it back to everybody at Holly's house. And she and signed it. She, was, she signed it, yeah. And we have a photo with her. Yeah. So we left the, the show probably around like 1, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. And... I was, we, we were both 16 because we were juniors. You're junior. I yeah. was like a you fresh 16 year old. Yeah. Because I had, I didn't drive on the interstate until I went to college because I was so afraid because mm-hmm. I'm freaking anxious about everything. But we got lost. This was before like GPS. Oh on yeah. Our phone. We, we didn't even have MapQuest like yeah, printed out or anything. So we got lost and I'm sitting there being like, I want to call my mom. I want to call my mom. Can we please call my mom? She'll tell us how to get home. And Kelly is adamant. Like, no, we are not calling anybody. We're going to figure this out on our own. We ended up in Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. Like, and this is sad because because we were going from downtown Nashville back to Franklin. It was hindsight. Yeah, it should have been like a 20 minute drive. Insane. Yeah. And we, it took us three hours. And I remember in my head sitting there, my thoughts, like I even get like a, a knot in my stomach telling this because I remember how I felt. Oh I God, I was making felt, you that anxious? Yes. I thought, <laughs> oh my, my God, thoughts I'm were so like, sorry. I'm never going to get home. <laughs> like that's where I go. Like I'm never going to get home. Like because things, I mean, I couldn't count on things. So for hmm. you, you were like, I'm going to figure this out. I always figure this out. Yeah. I'm like, I need people to figure this out for me. Mm-hmm. So we were having such a different experience. I do remember you being very mad at me. Oh, I was pissed. Yeah. And then when my, finally you let me call my mom. My mom's <laughs> like, why didn't you call me two hours ago? And I'm like, <laughs> Kelly was Kelly me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Um But that was around the time I know you were talking to this guy. So yeah. I wanted to share that. But keep going. Yes. And I think I did call him for directions. You definitely called him. But probably, that's probably more just for attention. Like you can't call your mom, but I can call this boy. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks I'm cute. Yeah. Um, but wait, what, how, what do you want me to say about this? Well, so I just want you to think about your relationships and, like, how do you think being this uh, insecure avoidant has affected you getting into relationships, mm. maintaining the relationships, and then how does it affect you and in ending them because you have a starkly different experience ending relationships than I do. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that weirdly this first interaction with a boy taught me for better or for worse a- about a lot or not about a lot. It, it taught, it shaped me in my already avoidant tendencies and really like honed in on those in a way, because I think this person's also kind of avoidant in his own Right. Yeah. Um, he, like, he he was somebody who could very easily, like, one day be super, super loving, and then the next day be very cold, I guess I would say, and, like, kind of distant. And But I guess for me, it only, like, forced me into my avoidant. I mean, I think that I would be, like, very, like, oh, my God, I wonder if he's going to call. And I, But by, like, three hours after he didn't call, I would be, like, screw that guy. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And I, whatever. And I became very, like... And I feel like there was, like, a lot of, you know, we obviously, we were kids, we were high schoolers, we were teenage, teenagers, but it's, like, a lot of games, I felt like, were played, and I think they were kind of fun at the time, because we were teenagers. Yeah. But it definitely was nothing, like, straightforward, where it's like, oh, I like you, you like me, let's just go and, like, be a really uh-huh. cute little high school relationship. It was very, like, I don't know, game-heavy, where yeah. it was just, like, one day was this, one day was that. And when it was over, and we'll move on to Oh, I felt like... like great sense of relief when it was over you're like okay good yeah i can i can stop having to worry about that person okay yeah when do you think like what would you call your first real serious relationship Hmm. so i would want to say it was 
You also have a slew of like, that's what I'm saying. It's not like, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the problem. So Kelly has, yeah, you have consistently these like pseudo relationships where you're, you're avoidant. So you're not attaching like Mm -hmm. all the way. You're Mm -hmm. like dating this person but not really dating the, yeah. them hanging out with them whatever you want to call it but you're not investing yourself totally because essentially in your head you know it's going to end mm-hmm. so if I don't get attached enough then I'll be okay when it ends and I'm going to I'm, I was okay before it started I'm okay in the middle I'm okay when it's going to be mm-hmm. done and because I value independence so much I have a very big fear of losing myself in a partner yeah back up. I've done my life like this my whole time my whole life by myself like don't come in and fuck this up for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm what you're describing is uh, you keep talking about all these guys that you're like I had this brief fun thing with this person and this person and this person that's what an avoidant person would say I had this brief fun thing with this person it was nothing serious and that's okay I would hate that I'm like I if I don't have a brief fun thing with somebody oh they're all very fond memories for me yeah, because you, you're attached to the idea of maintaining independence Mm -hmm. I'm attached to the idea of I need people yeah and I'm afraid people are always going to leave me. So, a, a, like, a, a relationship that's, like, fluid or, like, non-serious is sending me the message that, like, they don't like me. I'm worried the whole time that they don't like me or I'm doing something wrong. I need confirmation that you're my boyfriend now. Mm. You don't need that because you're, like, I'm okay by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not okay by myself. Yeah. Was my message. I don't believe that now. Yes, But I've course. also been through years of therapy. Yeah. <laughs> and then had to become a therapist myself. Yeah. Um, but you're confirming that whole idea. So Kelly has had these like over and over these like fun like wispy relationships where she's just totally enjoyed herself. She d- isn't Kelly also is not attached to any social media, not attached to her phone at all. You like live off the grid. <laughs> Essentially, but like on I the mean, grid at the same I, time. For 2019, it's living off the grid for like, yeah, I mean, for every decade In, before this, it was just like living normally. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you. <laughs> okay. uh, so you don't have a constant need for affirmation no. because you've learned to give that to yourself. But I wonder. I hit it every time. What? I hit it every time. <laughs> the affirmation. <laughs> but how that could hurt you is you you don't need people. Mm-hmm. So that whole idea of like the, what I talked about in the very beginning of like I'm better being independent. I'm better by myself. You're cutting yourself off. If you can be this good by yourself, imagine that could be multiplied if you allow people in your life and help you get to the things you want and be a better version of yourself. Because I know for me, I have learned more about myself through my relationships with other people. I can't learn about myself in a box. Yeah, sure. So I'm learning about myself through getting really close to people, people getting like very, very close to the insides of me, calling me out on things, saying what they like about me. The ending of relationships honestly that is one thing that like i i say this all the time i don't know if i can bear another one but i will say in hindsight like i'm so grateful for every relationship that didn't work out because Mm -hmm. i have i wouldn't be where i am today wouldn't know what i know about myself the only way i learned that was allowing myself to attach to people and so you essentially had been cutting yourself off i wouldn't say that's where you are today you probably have a bit of it Right. But and there are parts of being avoidant that like you're going to want to hold on to because they are good parts of you that keep you still keep you safe. But you're also cutting part cutting off 
like the next level of what you can be. But I would sense. say that I even like with, with talking about my slew of like kind of always having something going yeah. on one way or the other. I do feel like I'm never. Um, hmm, what, how do I want to say this? Like I'm very open to things in the sense of meaning like I will give a lot of different types of people a chance or whatever and be like, oh, I'll hang out with so-and-so for a little bit or I'll talk to so-and-so because I'm not. I'm not afraid. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm, like, afraid to connect to somebody. You're not afraid to, to get hurt. I'm not afraid to get hurt. I'm not afraid to connect to somebody. And then I feel like I've had relationships where I have been like, oh, let me try something more traditional and standard, which in college I dated a guy for close to two years um, who was older than me, and he was not in college. And I felt like I really tried to give that the good, like, regular relationship try and be like, okay, I'm going to, like. You also go into more risky relationships. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> Period. <Yeah>. No more. <laughs> Moving That's forward. Um, but, yeah, because I think that I wanted to be like, oh, all these other people are having these more, like, traditional style relationships. Let me give that a go. And so we did the whole thing where it's like you're spending the holidays together and you are hanging out very consistently. Like, I, I would see a lot of friends, like, give up friend time to be like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go hang out with my significant other. And, and I'd be like, oh, that, that must be smart and that must be what you do. But I – ultimately tried to break up with that person for six months before it really stuck and that was because it just was like every time I tried it was not going anywhere but he was somebody who drained life from me mm-hmm. and so I do agree that I'm like oh if you get in the right relationship you can probably grow and be way better but I think that somebody like me can also become very like oppressed very easily yeah and feel like you're carrying all the weight of yeah and for like people listening this doesn't just, we're talking about romantic relationships, but it applies to every relationship. So your attachment style is going to affect you at work. It's going to affect you with friends. I think about it with a friend. Like, I don't have a single friend that I don't like. Like, I don't have any of those people I feel like I need to talk to, but I don't want to. Anybody, I'm like, oh, I've been, I was just friends with her when I was eight, so I feel like I need to still talk to her. Like, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't have a single friend that I would call, like, a a drain or a single friend that I'm like, oh, I get depleted after I hang out with them. I don't have any of those. You know that I'm the opposite. And I've talked about this a lot lately, but I feel like I have, I've always had this belief that I have to be friends with everybody. And the re- there's a couple of reasons for that I've figured out. One is it's painful. I don't like, I, I despise pain. I run away from it as much as I can. That's why I'm always doing something. I'm always planning something because I have to look to the future. I have to have something to look forward to. It's painful for me to come to the conclusion that people are bad, that somebody could be bad. And so I have to hold on to this belief that like everybody has a good side. And I've had a lot of friends and I think that my close friends get frustrated and they'll say things like, why are you hanging out with her again? Or why are you hanging? And I have a lot of friends that I'm like, almost like I'm going to prove that they're good. And so I have a lot of people that I hang out with like that. Um, I think that's very endearing. It it can be because it one it I have as anxious as I am, and as much as I am afraid people are going to hurt me, I think I do give most people the benefit of the doubt, and I give a lot of second chances. But it's not helpful. It could be endearing in that way, but I need to. I had to get a hold on it because I was continually getting hurt by people. And they were doing the same thing to me over and over. It was like fool, that fool me once, whatever, yeah. fool me twice. Like over and over the same thing. I was getting the same feedback back from them. And this isn't just one person. This is multiple people. And like even my mom one day was like, why do you give people second chances that don't deserve them? 
Yeah. Yeah, it's endearing because I think I was uber judgmental in high school, and now I'm the opposite. Yeah. So I think that's the other part of it. It's like I was trying to like Making overcorrect. Yeah. Uh, I'm not this bad person. I'm I'm a good person. I'm a good person by believing everybody. But yeah. then that hurts me because I let people. I was letting people walk all over me. Sure. Take advantage of me. Yeah. So, but that's interesting that we have these opposite attachment styles and we have the opposite way that we were relating to friendships yes. as well. Yeah. And the same thing in a friendship, like, obviously, this is not, I don't mean this as a blank statement. If I have a friend who's going through something difficult and she really needs attention or advice or a lot of just comfort, I'm more than happy, love giving it, but I would never walk into a friendship with someone or c- commit to a friendship with someone if I felt like they needed well, and you can cut friendships. Not that you're, like, harsh, but walking away from a friendship yeah. is going to be easier for you yes. than somebody like me. Yes. Do you mind if I ask some? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so your most recent relationship. Yes. We can go into this? Sure. Just a little bit. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, was seven years. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about what that relationship was like? So sure. Uh, just, I'm being weird about this. <laughs> it just kind of recently ended. Yeah. And we still love this person. Yes. And nothing bad happened. Nothing bad happened. So it's just I'm asking you to be very open. Okay. So I'm, like, do you want me to no, talk no, about no. you want to do give details the I'm dynamic of the relationship or like yeah, how talk it about started the dynamic or and how what? your role in it was and all that. Okay. Yes. Again, this person is amazing. We love him. There's not, nothing bad happened. We started dating very, very young, and he was younger than I, and but still, I was just fresh out of college, and um, we were long distance for a very long time. And then we were not anymore, but he was a student most of our relationship. And so I, I certainly, because it's in my nature to do this anyways, took on the alpha role in the relationship and was like the decision maker and the party starter and the whatever other phrases you could say for that kind of thing. And he is so, so chill. He would do anything I ever wanted to do most of the time, but he he certainly was not like a boring person or anything. He just was like, yeah, okay, whatever you want. That's fine. And after, you know, years of that, well, there was a ton of love and we were very, very good friends and uh, we were very happy and we never fought or bickered or had like what I would even deem as real problems by any means. It just got a little um, stale maybe or old being like, oh, this is the dynamic and it's very, very difficult to change the dynamic without a ton of work being put in. And I think at that time, it just, or at this time, it just didn't feel necessary to put in a ton of work because we're still young. And it was like, oh, maybe this was just what it was. And it was amazing for this time. And now we can both have grown and learned all these amazing things from each other. And we can go be with other people and try out a different life that feels different and you get different things from. And there are probably people that are listening to this being like, what the hell? How does somebody walk out of a relationship and and be, feel so okay? <laughs> and it's because the way you view the world and how the relationships will happen again and all that. I would leave a relationship of a year and feel like my world is falling apart and every second crying. So it's not bad. It's not bad. It's just a different way to view. Mm-hmm. You 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 made like a face when I said about the we can walk away from this and have learned a lot. I will say the dynamic of the relationship shows that, like, like I want somebody – this is what I was going to say. Oh. I want people – when 
I'm in a relationship, I there's a, there's a part of it that excites me of having somebody that can essentially take care of parts of me or help take care of parts of me. So your whole life you've been very, very independent. However, this is this is where this earned secure part comes in mm-hmm. because you were like, I'm going to be the alpha, I'm going to be this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You're moving into secure attachment by saying like, I don't like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I want a more balanced relationship. I want a relationship where I don't have to do all of the work. I want a relationship that feels like I'm not going to, like, if it ends, I'm just, I'm not going to be okay. Like, I mm-hmm. want a relationship that if it ends, I feel like there's going to be a part of something mm-hmm. in me missing. Mm-hmm. The way you earn a secure attachment, there's two ways you do that. One is through strong, meaningful relationships with other people, which is why therapy is so helpful with with helping with attachment styles and, and doing this. If you're listening to this and you're like, I have this crazy anxious attachment or this crazy avoidant and a, a relationship with a therapist can um, propel that because my job, and I usually explain this in a first session with somebody is I definitely did it when I worked at the ranch in a treatment center because people really tried to like, I mean, I had people slam doors in I'm my sure. face, a lot of fuck yous, mm-hmm. and I showed up every single day to my job. Mm-hmm. So I'm teaching them, you can do whatever you want to me. I'm going to be stable. I'm always going to show up. Mm-hmm. So I'm that secure base. I'm the safe haven. Mm-hmm. I'm all of that. And so how you you change your attachment style or you, you fix or you, you revert to a secure attachment style is you find a meaningful relationship that's secure. Mm-hmm. And so in therapy, a lot of times, which is why I think my job is so cool is I get to be the first person that consistently shows up for them. And so they're learning, oh, this isn't a me thing. This is an other people thing because this person, I can do anything to her short of somebody like threatening to hurt me. But they're going to show up even when I'm crazy or even when I say things that I don't mean or even when I get mad or even. And so I'm always going to show up for them. Mm -hmm. So that's one way. You have a lot of consistent meaningful relationships in your life so you have been like you're getting throughout your life like oh people are going to care if i throw a temper tantrum Mm -hmm. people are going to care if i'm i'm crying or i'm sad people are going to care if i get a something really exciting happens in my life people are going to want they're going to be people that want to put my report card on the fridge Mm -hmm. and keep it there Mm -hmm. and the other way is which i think that you're totally have this as well is just having the ability to have deep introspection oh yeah and you can have create meaningful insight into your experiences so essentially what you're doing is you're saying my early experiences aren't aren't who i am and maybe i can do better in the future or maybe i can change that in the future that like what happened when i was two isn't going to be solidified through the rest of my life my my beliefs about myself are they can change Mm -hmm. and so you are i think what's cool about you is you do go deeper into a lot of things so it's not surface level it's i'm going to take that one step underneath of that Mm -hmm. so you have both of those things so as you're talking about this relationship any what i'm hearing is like i'm becoming more more securely attached to people and that means I don't have to be in a relationship where I feel like I I one am in charge Mm -hmm. because that's you like to feel in charge Mm -hmm. and two that like I want to be invested in this relationship yeah for sure and I want it it's like the things that I've also I think getting older you just realize the things that you really need whereas because I am very independent I feel very secure on my own in the t- I think that traditionally when people think of heterosexual relationships you think of man provides security and stability totally. and money and whatever and for me it's like I don't feel the need to get that from a man 
because I have that for myself. And so then it's like, okay, well, then what are the things I would need from someone else to have a nice, secure, healthy relationship? So I have a couple questions for you. Okay. In, in wrapping this up, in one, what do you feel like, what's something that you learned about yourself just through this conversation? <laughs> I think that, interestingly enough, I use the word avoidant to describe myself often. But I would never. And you didn't even know about this. No, I didn't know about this. I, I, I say I practice avoidance a lot. That's like a phrase I use about myself. That is so interesting. Look at you. And you knew before you knew. Yeah. Especially avoiding difficult conversations. Like yeah. why I ghosted a therapist instead of just yeah. simply being like, no, I'm not going to come back. I didn't like or our vibe. Of, yeah. Of what, why yeah. I didn't like. Um, but I don't think I've ever related that to having anything to do with any sort of like attachment or how, you know, nurture or how I was raised or anything like that. I think I just thought. Oh, that's just who I am. Like, I just don't want to do this difficult thing. Uh, but I think that actually it's nice to hear because I haven't been thinking about being like, oh, man, if I'm if I'm always going to be this, like, tough and this independent, how am I ever going to have a meaningful mm-hmm. partnership with someone? Yeah. My other question, if you think back to, like, the little kid that you're talking about, like, in elementary school who created all, like, that's where you created all this meaning in the beginning and who being you'd learn to be quiet and, and take care of yourself. If you could go back and tell her something, what would you tell her? <laughs> My first immediate reaction is I would say, that, like, be easy on others. Oh. Because I feel like that, I feel like I can be still not as harsh as I certainly was, hopefully, when I was a teen and, and early 20s but I think I can be very judgmental of people and think that people are weak yeah very easily or see certain things as a weakness like I used to with social media now I'm just social media now I've just decided like oh man I don't really know if it's for me but I used to see like the need for affirmation to be a weakness but that's not it just is this different it's just these it's just a new avenue for people to get things they need but yes Yes. Even if I don't I think that is it, one, I wish I could like imprint that like in everybody's minds. Like um, our behaviors, they're all, most of them are learned ways to get your needs met. Now, sometimes they end up hurting us as we get older. They stop working and that's where we need to like step in. But when we look at people and we make all these judgments of them, it's like, wait a second. Nobody does things to purposely hurt themselves just to feel pain because they like themselves. Mm-hmm. Like nobody does any of that. Yeah, what I do think is interesting is there's nothing you would tell yourself about you. Oh, well, yeah, if I thought hard for a second, hang on. Because well, so I think well that, that is about me because I think that it but that bleeds in because I am a generally optimistic person. I yeah. have like a general easygoing vibe, I think, most of the time. And that is my like pessimistic part of myself is thinking that others need all this stuff and I'm like why do you need that or you yeah. know like it's just interesting that like that it, it's like that idea it's like judging others is hurting yourself or whatever it's poison like yeah it's like poison to me to feel that way about others mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah I just was thinking in regards of like you're so I'm okay like I'm okay I'm, I'm gonna be okay and so you're what you would tell yourself is something to be more kinder to others when in the sense, if you really think about it, a person who's creating that style of attachment, they're not totally okay. <laughs> yeah. I would want to go back, and if I could say something to you, is that, like, 
people do care about you and people want to be there for you and help you and and we want to be a part of your life that's I see <laughs> but I think that's interesting that and that's okay your answer gets to be your answer but I, that's just like food for thought of like your first instinct is to go at, go say something about other people because you're okay yeah but it was more about other people and I see this as like you weren't okay yeah like you may do like you you've got out of that fine like you're very successful and whatever but like there's some things that you probably could have had when you're younger yes but you're not weak so <laughs> and i think ultimately i think that for a long time i would i thought like oh well these experiences will better me down the road but at the end of the day we're all we all have the same things yeah but we don't all have the same dynamics in our families or how we were raised or whatever so it didn't it's not like it really what do you mean we have the same thing got me anywhere differently um like me, we all, like uh, my close friends, we all have success and oh, we all yeah, yeah. have security and uh, well, some of us have long-term romantic relationships, others don't. And Does that make sense? Yeah, I just would disagree in the fact that like you can say like we all have the same things, but I know that like I can't really ever say that about anything, anybody because somebody who looks really successful doesn't have some of the things that I have when my life might not look as successful as them. Hmm. Like, yeah. You never really know until you know. It's like we yeah. compare our insides to everybody's outsides. Is what I say. And so when we look and we're like, all our friends have the oh, same stuff. I'm clever. like, yeah. But like, we don't all have the same things. We just display our things similarly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't mean we all have the same things to display. Okay. Any last thoughts or questions you have? <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed this. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's ten. People are like, "What dumpster was this girl found in?" <laughs> um, I've never met this girl. Before. Well, very enlightened. Would you come back to me if I was your therapist? Yes, that's what I need. I'm like looking for a therapist <laughs> like you. In uh, closing, and all this, if you connected to something around this, and you feel like, oh, I might be anxious, or I might be avoidant, or I want to learn how to be more secure, or might any of that, like, I will just say, go talk to somebody. Um, oh, I, ha- I just thought of a question. Yeah. Do you think any of this attachment style has anything that correlates to the Enneagram, or do you think it's unrelated? Oh, my God. It's so related. Okay. Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, relatively new in the – I mean, I'm well-versed in the Enneagram, but I'm also relatively new to this. Like, I've been using attachment theory for the past – what uh seven years enneagram i got into like a year ago so i do know that like enneagram is is talks about your personality and your attachment style is how your personality is developed Mm -hmm. and it enneagram talks about how your earliest experiences are how you cope and create your personality traits and so they're very connected Mm -hmm. i don't know that like the history of it these that john bowlby knew what the enneagram was Mm -hmm. but why I love the Enneagram so much is it's so close to attachment theory. I was thinking that yeah. a lot, like uh, just talking through, even when you were describing the three attachments and I was like, yeah, that matches. And like, if you, you know, the Enneagram talks about how like you have the, the, the two sides of you, like mm-hmm. the healthy and the unhealthy or whatever mm-hmm. it's, but you're never all bad. And you're never all good. It's like there, it's the same thing with your attachment style. It's like the resilient parts of being avoidant. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I love that too, but yeah, I do. Okay. I assume that eventually I'll be doing an episode on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. I just I can't do that one on my own because I'm not an expert in that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. So if you uh, if you guys related to any of this, um, if you want to learn more about your attachment style, 
you can reach out to me. I would love to help you find somebody that can help you learn more about that. And again, you can follow me at at Three Quartz Therapy on Instagram. You can reach out to me directly through my website. It's threequartstherapy.com. And yeah, that's basically it. I love this. I was really excited to be, for this to be my first episode because I think it's going to help in all the conversations that we have here. Thank you, Kelly. No, oh, thank you. You're <laughs> <laughs> um, you can fly down from Philly anytime and, and yeah, do a podcast. Just people, yeah. And I would totally plug Kelly's Instagram, but she doesn't really use it and she doesn't really care. <laughs> You should avoid it and she doesn't need you. (laughs) World's most boring Instagram you've ever seen. Um, But, yeah, I hope you guys have a great week. And um, thanks for listening. And if you could please, please, please rate this. Is that what they call it? I have no idea. Yeah, five stars. Give me five Five stars stars all the way around. Subscribe to this. Um, I would love comments and feedback. That would be awesome. And uh, catch you in two weeks. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety? Struggling to find restful sleep or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters.